Hello, and welcome to FRE's Book Club, where we read so you don't have to. Today we'll be reading Alex Ryder by Anthony Horowitz. Thank you for listening to FRE's. If you would like to see more of Alex Ryder, please follow and leave a five-star review. Chapter 8. Death in the Long Grass. Alex was woken up by an indignant Nadia Volley looking at his door. He had overslept. This morning is your last opportunity to experience the stormbreaker, she said. Right, Alex replied. This afternoon we begin to send the computers out to the school. Harold say has it suggested that you take the afternoon for leisure. A walk grabs into Port Talon. There's a footpath that goes through the fields and then by the sea. You will do that, yes, yes. I'd like that. Good. And now I'll leave for you to put on some clothing. I'll come back for you in. Ten minutes. Alex splashed cold water on his face before getting dressed. It had been four o'clock by the time he had gone back into his room and he was still tired. His night expedition hadn't been the, quite the success he hoped. He'd seen so much of submarine silver boxes, death of the guard who died in drop one, and yet he still hadn't learned much of anything. Jason Gorovich was working for Harold Sale. That much was certain. But what about the boxes? They could have contained packed lunches for the staff of your enterprises for all he knew. Except, you don't kill a man for dropping a packed lunch. Today was March 31st. As Volley had said, the computers were on their way out. There was only one day until the ceremony at the Science Museum, but Alex had nothing to report. And the one piece of information that he had sent me on my diagram had also drawn a blank. There had been a reply waiting for him on the screen of his game when he turned on before going to bed. Unable to recognise diagram or letters or numbers, possible map referred, but unable to source map. Please sh- transmit with further observations. Alex had thought of transmitting the fact that he actually cited President Gorovich, but he decided against it. His suggestion was there, but Stuart promised to pull him out. Suddenly, Alex wanted to see this through to the end. Something was going on at the enterprises, and he never forgave himself even to find out what it was. Now he volley came back from his promise and he spent the next three hours toying with the Stormbreaker. This time he enjoyed himself less. As this time he noticed he when he went, went to the door, the garden closer to the corridor outside. It seemed several enterprises weren't taking any more chances when he where he was concerned. When the clock arrived and with it a sandwich delivered in the paper plate. Ten minutes later the guards released him from the room and escorted him far as the main gate. The glorious afternoon, the sun shining as he walked onto the, out onto the road. He took a last look back at Mr. Grimm. Mr. Grimm had just come out from the buildings and standing some distance away. Talking into a mobile telephone, there was something unnerving about the sight. I should be making a telephone call now, and who could possibly understand a word he said. It was only once he'd left the plant that Alice was able to relax, away from the fences, the arm gone, and the sense of threat that pervaded Sayo Enterprises. It was as if he was breathing fresh air for the first time in days. The Cornish countryside was beautiful. The rolling hills, a lush green dotted with wildflowers. He found a footpath and turned off the road. From the lay of the land, and remembered the cottage that brought him here. He guessed what telling was a couple of miles away. A walk less than an hour if the route wasn't too hilly. In fact, the path clamped upward quite steeply almost at once, and Alex found himself perched over a clear blue sparkling in the English channel, following a track that zigzagged peculiarly over the edge of a cliff. To one side of him, the field stretched into the distance, with the long grass bending in the breeze. 
To the other, there was a foot at least 500 feet to the rocks and water below. Port Talon itself was at the very end of the cliffs, ducked again against the sea. It almost looked too quaint for me, like a mold in the black and white Hollywood film. He came to break in the path, much tougher track, and either go away from the sea and across the field. His instincts would have thought he'd go straight ahead, while the footpath pointed to the right. There was something strange about the sign. Alex hesitated from him, wondered where it was, then he just dismissed it. He was walking in the countryside and the sun was shining. What could possibly be wrong? He followed the sign. The path continued rising and rising and falling, falling and falling for about another quarter of a mile, then dipped down to a hollow. Here the grass was almost as tall as he was. Rising up all around him, a shimmering golden cage. A bird suddenly erupted in front of him, a ball of brown feathers that spun around it before taking flight. Nothing had disturbed it. And that was when I decided to sound and ending it close to a tractor. No, it was too high pitched and moving too fast. Alex knew he was in danger the same way an animal does. He didn't need to ask why or how. Danger was simply there. And even as the dark shape appeared, crashing through the grass, he was throwing himself to one side, knowing it was too late to know that had been that had been wrong about the second football sign. It'd been brand new, but the first sign that had led him off the road had been weather beaten and old. Something deliberately led him away and took from the correct path and brought him here to the killing field. He hit the ground and rolled to one side. The vehicle burst, burst through the grass, its front wheel all inches above its head. Alex got a glimpse of a squat black thing with four flat, fat tyres across between the little tractor and the motorbike. He was being worried by a hunched up figure in grey leather and helmet and goggles, sitting was good, turning down in the grass on the other side, and disappearing instantly as if curtain and drawn. Alex scrambled to his feet and began to run. He knew it what it was now. He did something similar on holiday in the sand dunes of Death Valley in Nevada, a cover circuit 4x4, prepared with a 400cc engine with automatic transmission, a cold bike. It was circling up, preparing to come after him, and it wasn't alone. A drone screamed. And in the second back appeared in front of him, roaring towards him, cutting a swath through the grass. Alex heard himself out of its bar, once again crashing into the ground, almost dislocating his shoulder. Meaning that Angel Fumes whipped across his face, he had to find somewhere to hide, but he was thus people's middle of a field and there was nothing apart from the grass itself. Desperately he fought through it, the blade scratching at his face, half blinding him as he tried to find his way back to the main path. He needed to find someone, anyone, whoever had sent these people. Now he remembered Mr. Green talking on his mobile phone. They could have killed him without any witnesses around. But there was, no, there was no one, and they were coming up for him again, together this time. Alex could hear the engines whining in unison, coming up behind him, fast behind him. Still running, he glanced over his shoulder and saw them, one on each side, seemingly about to overtake him. It was only the glint of the sun, sight of the glass, slicing itself in half the roof of the Hollywood tree. The two cyclists had a shrunk of cheese wire between them. Alex threw himself head first, flat on his stomach. The cheese wire whipped over, over him. If the cheap, if he was standing up, he would have been cut in half. The quad bikes separated, arting from each other. At least they may have dropped the wire. Alex had bruised his knee in the last fall, and he was only a matter of time before they cornered him and finished him off. Half limping, he ran forward, searching for something that hired them to the fence of it. As apart from the Game Boy and the money, he had nothing in his pocket, not even a pen knife. The engines were distant now. Finding who they'd be mem- any moment they'd be closing in again. The right one with the right having to do for it next time. More cheese wire or something worse. It was worse, much worse. 
There was a roar of an engine and the billowing cloud of red fire exploded over the grass, blazing it to a crisp. Alex felt it seemed as he showed it, yelled and threw himself to one side. When Riders was hurling a flame for a while, he just bolted the aim and fired 20 feet long, meaning to burn Alex alive. And he'd almost succeeded. Alex was only saved by a narrow ditch in front of him. He had seen it to be flooded into the ground, into the damp soil. The jet of the flame liquid just above the air above him. It had been close. There was a horrible smell. His own hair. His fire had singed the edges. Legit choking, his face streaked with dirt and sweat. He clambered out of the ditch and ran blindly forward. He had no idea where he was going anymore. Only in a few seconds, the cord would be back. But he was taking only ten paces before he realized he'd reached the end of the field. There was a woman inside and an electrified friend carrying it far as you could see it. For the buzzing sound of it. If not for the buzzing sound that the vent was making, he would have run right into it. That's almost invisible, and the quiet wagon moving fast toward him would be unable to hit the warning under his own engine. He stopped and turned around. About 50 yards from him, the grass was being flattened by the still invisible cord as it made his next charge. But this time, Alex waited. He stood there, balanced on his seal deck and matador. 20 yards, 10. Now he was staying right into the eye of the Flamethrower, still gripping the flamethrower. He could smash down the last barrier of glass and leaped onto him, except Alex was no longer there. He dived to one side and too late. The driver saw the fence and looked straight into it. The man screamed as the wire caught him around his neck, almost skyrocketing him. Back twisted into midair and crashed down. The man fell into the grass and lay still. He had torn the fence out of the ground. Alex ran over them and did something. For a moment, he thought it might be Yasmin, but it was a younger man, dark-haired, ugly. Alex had, had never seen him before. The man was unconscious, but still freeing. The frame for ability extinguished behind him. Behind him, we heard the other bike some distance away, but closing. Whoever these people are, they returned to run him down, cut him in half, and to incinerate him. T really had to find a way to get out of there before it got serious. He ran over to the cord, which we still to come to rest and lay up, lying on its side. He heaved up again, jumped into the saddle, and kick-started it, or tried to. His foot scrambled desperately, but he could not find anything to kick. Alex Gers, he, he might have seen squad bikes before, but he hadn't been allowed to ride when he was too young. And now, how do you get the damn thing started? There was nothing to kick, so it had to be some sort of manual ignition. He twisted the key, nothing, and saw a red button right in the middle. He pressed it and then coughed into life. At least there was no gears to worry about. Alex twisted the accelerator and yelled out as the machine rocketed, as the machine rocketed away, almost throwing him backward off the saddle. Now he was whipping through the grass to become a green blur, hanging on with the strength as the as the quad bike carried him back toward the footpath. He wasn't sure if he was steering the, the bike or the bike was steering him, but all he cared about that he was still moving. For a ghastly second, his bones rattled as the quad hit a rut and then in the track and bounced upward. For a ghastly second, Alex thought he was going to be hurled off his bike and into space, but somehow he managed to keep his grip, even though the crash of the tires hit the ground punched out all his breath. He cut through another green curtain and savagely pulled onto the handlebar, trying to bring the machine under control. He'd found the footpath on also the side of the cliff. He was five years more, he was launching himself over the edge into the rocks below. For a few seconds, he sat where he was, the engine idling. Then, well, that was when the other coach was waiting. The camera must have seen what had happened. He reached the footpath and was facing Alex about 200 feet away. Something glinted in his hand, resting on the handlebar. He was carrying a gun. 
Alex looked back at the way he'd come. It was no good. The path was too narrow. By the time he turned the back around, the band reached him. One shot and it'd all be over. He could, could he go back in the grass? No, for the same reason. He went to me forward. He started me forward. Even I went for a straight on collision with the other court. There was no way. The man gunned his engine and spread forward. Alex did the same. There were two of them were racing towards the narrow path. A bank of uh, rocks that is rising up to form a barrier on either side of the edge of the cliff on the other. There wasn't enough room for them to pass. They could stop or they could crash. If they're going to stop, they had to do it in the next 10 seconds. Cores were getting closer and closer, moving faster all the time. Far below, the waves glittered silver, breaking against the rocks. The grass higher now flashed by. The man fired his gun twice. Alex felt the blows first with slides past his shoulder. The second ricocheted off his side of his bike. Alex, Alex felt the first bullet slides past his shoulder. The second ricocheted off the side of his bike. Almost closed and he could lose control. The wind rushed into him, hammering at his chasing face. It was the old-fashioned game of chicken. None of them had to stop. None of them had to get out of the way. Sorry. Two. One. It was the man who finally broke. He was less than 20 feet away, so Alex would make the perspiration on his forehead. If he had fired the first shot now, there was no way he could miss. But he was travelling too fast. The path was un- too uneven. He couldn't fire at and drive at the same time, just to assume that a crash was inevitable. He just did his quad and swerved off the path up into the grass. At the same time, he tried to bring the gun around, but he was too late. Oh, his quad was slanting, tipping over onto the two of its wheels. The man screamed. His quad hit a roof and bounced upward, landing briefly off on the footpath and continued over the edge of the hill. Alex felt the, the, and continued over the edge of the hill. Alex felt that the man had rushed past but he was nothing more than a blur. Now he shuddered to a halt and turned just, to, just in time to watch another quad to fly off the cliff and into the air. The man, still screaming, managed to separate himself from the machine on the way down. But the two of them hit the water at the same moment. The quad floated for a few seconds longer than the man. Who would send him? It was Nodji of all who suggested the walk. Because Mr. Gray had actually seen him leave. Mr. Gray had given the order and he was sure of it. Alex took the quad. The rest took the quad, took the, quad the rest of the way into Port Talon. The, the sun was still shining because he sped down to the little fishing village, but he couldn't do wrong. He was angry himself because he knew he made too many escapes. She should have been dead now. He knew. Only luck and a low voltage electric fence had managed to keep him alive.